hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Well, we have a lot of information to go over right now. We're in the middle of the Omicron outbreak. And what we've learned now is Omicron can break through natural immunity. It's become abundantly clear. In a paper by Pulliam and colleagues from South Africa, they've clearly described that Omicron can break through natural immunity. Patients who've had the uh, original wild type, alpha, beta, gamma, and delta, uh, there can be clear breakthrough infections with Omicron. So this basically has now uh, taken a whole new dimension in the pandemic. It's no longer one and done. It's a fact that someone can get COVID-19 a second time. Now, in a late-breaking paper from Khan and colleagues from the Africa Research Institute, they've demonstrated in a small number of people that an infection with Omicron develops immunity against future Omicron infection, like a 14-fold boost in uh, antibody-related immunity to Omicron. But importantly, there's a 4x boost against uh, the Delta variant. So there's actually back immunity to the Delta variant. And so what we have is we have a situation where there's a new mutation. Uh, This is uh, the most heavily mutated form of the virus. It uh, can multiply in the nose now, replicate 70 times faster. Omicron is 70 times faster than Delta. In a paper published from Hong Kong University, it's demonstrated. So even though transmissibility is less, the transmissibility index calculated is at about a 4. The wild type was at 2. Delta was at 10. Even though less, transmissi- less transmissible by modeling, it's multiplying so much more quickly that we are seeing record numbers of cases. Right now, we have more cases of COVID-19, new cases coming in, and prevalent cases in the United States than we've had since the beginning of the pandemic. This is actually worse than what it was before the vaccines. Uh, In our big peak a year ago, now we have an even bigger peak now. And it's a blend between the Delta variant and the new Omicron variant. The two syndromes are distinctly different. Delta uh, presenting with uh, severe symptoms uh, and those having uh, younger individuals having a protective course, pulmonary symptoms. We've seen Delta ravage younger people and, and create hospitalizations and deaths. Very hard syndrome to treat. I think Delta was the hardest we had of all the variants, and now enter in Omicron. Omicron uh, is a brief syndrome. It's very mild. Uh, Sometimes it can be just a day or two of a fever or warmth. So the two syndromes are distinctly different, and it's very hard to separate one from another. And I can tell you, this has been a tremendous challenge. So uh, we have faced this now. Uh, We've been as active in the media as we possibly can, warning Americans that the Omicron variant has actually broken through natural immunity. It's a very important uh, new concept. Uh, We've said one and done in the past, which was true. If you had alpha, you couldn't get delta, but it's not the case anymore with Omicron. Omicron is the breakthrough variant. So I wanted to give you that quick update. And so it should be no surprise to you that I've been very active in the media. Let's go quickly to Newsbacks and Eric Bolding, uh, Bolding this week when I was on with uh, FLCC leader, Dr. Pierre Corey. 
vaccines. Can we finally stop with the vaccine mandates now? First, Joe and Kamala said they wouldn't take the Trump vaccine. Remember? If the president announced tomorrow we have a vaccine, would you take it? Only if it was completely transparent that other experts in the country could look at it. Only if we knew all of what went into it. If Donald Trump can't give answers and administration can't give answers to these three questions, the American people should not have confidence. But if Donald Trump tells us I should take, that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Ooh. Then they said the vaccine is good, but they would never force people to get it. Remember? No, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory, but I would do everything in my power. It's like I don't think masks have to be made mandatory nationwide. These guys are flip-flopping like a flounder in Fort Lauderdale. Then the left made it out like the vaccine was the thing that would stop COVID in its tracks. Instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person, potentially mutating and becoming more virulent and drug-resistant along the way, now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus... The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. Thank you, Dr. Rachel. Wrong. Wildly wrong. That didn't hold up very well. Now did it, Rach? Like most of what Rachel Maddow has to say lately, it's no coincidence that none of the things the Democrats and the left have actually said have actually held up, has it now? Let's bring in our panel of doctors to react. Dr. Pierre Corey is back with us. He's president and chief medical officer at the Frontline COVID-19. And Dr. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough is back with us. Also, he's chief medical advisor at the Truth for Health Foundation. Doctor, let's start with you, Dr. McCullough. You haven't been on since Dr. Corey has been on. Love having both of you guys on. Two of the smartest doctors in America, folks. You may have heard them on Joe Rogan as well, and they also come on the balance all the time. So, Dr. McCullough, let's start with you. The, the latest, the latest we're hearing about Omicron. Let me throw some numbers at you. It was on the upper left corner of Drudge today. 12-27-21 yesterday, there were 543,000 cases of COVID worldwide. 12-27-20, 152,000. So there's four times more cases this year than there were a year ago. 12-27, uh, yesterday, uh, 1,757 people died a year ago yesterday, 1,200. We're not winning this war. All this, all this mandating, all this vaccination, all this social distance, all these rules and shutting down hasn't really seemed to work, has it? No, it hasn't. The Omicron variant clearly is the most mutated of all the variants. It's carving out a large ecological niche. It's interesting that uh, it, it actually has, has a lower transmissibility index by modeling compared to Delta. But the reason why it's outcompeting Delta is that it replicates 70 times the speed that Delta did. And that's from a paper from Hong Kong University. And we now can see this uh, multiple papers, one by Pulliam and colleagues from South Africa. It's clear that the Omicron variant has broken through all forms of immunity, both natural immunity from the prior variants, as well as through the vaccines, as you've highlighted in these vignettes. Uh, but fortunately, I think it's made a syndromic shift, and it may give us a better opportunity for treatment. And, and, and Dr. Corey, Rand Paul, I believe it was today, may have been yesterday, actually pointed a finger at Fauci and said, because Fauci pushed away from all the therapeutic, therapeutic treatments, kind of made it seem like they're a quack science. Because he did that, there are a lot of people who, who likely have died because of that. What are your thoughts on that comment? 
I mean, absolutely. I mean, Dr. McCullough and myself have been saying this for many months. I mean, we could probably put a really close estimate on the amount of lives that could have been saved had early treatment been employed from the beginning since we knew it worked. I mean, you know, I hate going back to hydroxychloroquine, but there was evidence showing that it was working in the prior pandemics, in the, in the prior coronavirus pandemic. So just that alone, starting early on, could have made a huge difference. And now we have at least two dozen compounds, most of them off patent and inexpensive. So unfortunately, our system generally ignores them. But we have many, many different options for treatment. And when you use it in combination with which my colleague, Dr. McCullough, has been literally advocating and recommending to the country for, for well over a year now, um, when you put them into combinations, as myself, my colleagues do, it's highly effective. Enough with the vaccines. We're, we see that these vaccines have failed. Um, they're, they're not controlling the pandemic. We're worse than we were. And so we've got to focus on treatment. And some of the things that, that are working and have been working, uh, I, I think DeSantis in Florida started with the monoclonal antibodies early. Texas, I just read, Texas ran out. They just ran out. And, 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 and I'm going to point the finger at this administration, the Biden administration, because they pushed back on all the things that weren't a Pfizer, a Moderna, and a J&J &J vaccine. Everything else was quack science, so therefore we weren't able to, to, to kind of force through and push some uh, manufacturing mass manufacturing of some of the therapeutics and some of the other ways to treat some of the symptoms of, of the virus and therefore we are running out it, it, it's a failure from the top all the way down from biden all the way down to fauci and everyone in between is it not dr corey it, it is an it, it is a colossal failure the history books will not be kind when you compare the united states to numerous regions and countries around the world who are handling this better and, and employing early treatment strategies and using not the four, you know, not the high dollar items that, that we, the, outside of dexamethasone in this country, everything else is a huge ticket item. Um, the other countries have solved this. They've done much better controlling this without vaccines and with aggressive focus on, on, on early treatments. And so, I mean, the examples are, are, are just so stark. Um, and we're trapped. We're trapped in this country with a narrative that these drugs don't work and, and, and it's killing people. Now, Dr. McCullough, can we talk about Fauci just for a minute? We're going to, by the way, folks, we have your questions coming up in the next block. But I just, Dr. McCullough, before we go, I, let's talk a little bit about Fauci. Fauci's been around since the Trump administration. The guy has basically overseen 820,000 deaths in America, but somehow he's held up as some rock star in the, in the scientific community. Can you shed some light on why this might be the case? Well, I can tell you that certainly a division head at the National Institutes of Health is, is, is not the highest position uh, in terms of medical authority. And what America really needed was uh, high quality teams of competent doctors who are board certified in their specialties, who are seeing patients, understanding how to treat COVID-19, that are innovative. We should have had a team on how to reduce the spread of the illness. Turns out the most effective way of reducing the spread is by oral and nasal virucidal decontamination with 10% uh, diluted to one percent povidone iodine. We needed a team on early treatment. Uh, Dr. Corey, doc, 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 say that again. Say that again. I think uh, I think I read you, you. You put this out today. A, a great way, or the best way, or whatever, however you phrased it, a way to stop the the spread of the vaccine of the uh, viruses is how. Tell us that one more time. Right. So this is very important. You know, masks basically have failed. The randomized trials show masks don't work. Uh, and that hand sanitizer is useless because it's not a hand infection. It's not transmitted by the hand. The virus settles in the nose and the nose must be cleansed 
with a dilute form of a virucidal agent, either dilute betadine or povidone iodine or dilute hydrogen peroxide. There are nine clinical studies, uh, 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 you know, several thousand individuals. That's how many parts of the world are dealing with this after people come home after at work in congregate settings. We use it in acute treatment, by the way, every four hours now, and it really reduces the viral load. But I wanted to see a team on that a team on early treatment, a team on hospital yeah. treatment, and then a team on vaccination for a limited vaccine approach. We didn't see any teamwork in Washington. We saw one person basically move into a position of being a, uh, a self-proclaimed uh, medical dictator. Uh, that individual actually said he represented the field or the study of science. And, and I can tell you, um, no individual represents science. I mean, you know, all of us humbly serve and try to interpret the best we can in the data and, and use the scientific methods and our scholarship to help guide America yep. forward. Yep. Well, I, that gave you an idea of uh, really the tenor of what happened this week. Uh, we uh, basically have had uh, an enormous discussion about Omicron as we're being flooded with uh, cases. I was on, later on, I was on Fox News, Ingram Angle with former Congressman Sean Duffy, and I basically said the same thing. I won't uh, have that on the program tonight for time's sake. I want to get back to uh, music. We've had a music segment on the program uh, when possible. It's such a busy news cycle. But I want to invite back to the program R.C. Rapper, who uh, was on before with his very first uh, song, uh, Just Say No. Now he has one regarding freedom, and this was uh, brought forward by a Canadian uh, viewer uh, and he's been uh, really great to us. So let me go ahead and play this from RC Rapper. It's another song regarding medical freedom. This is from Rob McCallum. recommend this to go ahead and listen to the whole piece. This was uh, R.C. Rapper. He teamed up with First Nations country music singer Jordan Shinghus uh, of the new single Home. And this came in from Rob McCallum, who's a great guy uh, from Canada. 
So I wanted to bring this to you. Uh, we certainly have a lot going on on the second uh, side of the McCullough report. We have for the first time a former Trump White House health advisor, uh, Dr. Paul Alexander, uh, evidence-based medicine physician located in Hamilton, Ontario. Paul's been very active in pandemic response. Many of you know him. Uh, he's a terrific, terrific analyst, and we have a big, long interview with him, and it's well worth it. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. If you go to healthycell.com, you can check out the technology, the products of Healthy Cell. These are very innovative products. They are a form of bio-nutraceuticals that are bioactive, and they come in a variety of categories. One is daily essentials, which are the bioactive multi and the vegan essentials. And then the next category is performance, and this is the REM sleep supplement. I've talked about it a lot. I think it's very effective and I recommend it uh, for myself and for my family, but as well as my patients. I'm having great luck with this because it is such a terrific product with um, a blend of, I think is what's needed for not only promoting sleep, but also getting quality sleep. And one gets quality sleep, then there's restfulness and the next day is better. And then the next night is better. And it becomes a progressively positive cycle for the human body. And the next product in the performance category is Focus and Recall. Focus and Recall. And I think that is the featured product that um, is coming into play for those with long COVID and brain fog that develops after COVID-19, the respiratory infection, but also after COVID-19 vaccination. So go to HealthyCell.com and check out the products. And in the promotional code, use the term out loud for 20% off your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years, and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Liberty and the pursuit of 2022 is upon us. Happy New Year, my fellow Americans. Eleanor Roosevelt says the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. May you realize your dreams in the new year we trust. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. 
It's a great pleasure to invite to the microphone for the first time someone many of you have heard in the last two years as an expert academic commentator uh, on COVID-19, not only for the popular media, but he's also worked directly with the US government and other government authorities worldwide. And I'm talking about Dr. Paul Alexander. Dr. Alexander uh, attended undergraduate university at York University uh, in Toronto. He received a bachelor's degree with honors. He went on to receive a master's degree at York University in health sciences studies, then went on to receive a second master's degree at University of Toronto in epidemiology, and then traveled for a third master's degree increasing his education there in epidemiology and evidence-based medicine. Finally, he returned to Canada where he studied uh, evidence-based medicine as a graduate student and was awarded his PhD and he stayed on at McMaster for quite some time. And then Dr. Alexander developed really a storied career as a health sciences expert, international health policy expert. And he's been a stalwart advocate for uh, really what I think pandemic response should have been, certainly in the United States worldwide. Dr. Alexander, thank you for joining us on the McCullough Report. Thank you very much, Dr. McCullough. It it is, boy, what an honor and a privilege to to have the chance to talk to you. And um, well, I mean, that was a nice introduction. My doctorate was in evidence-based medicine at um, McMaster under Dr. Gordon Guyatt, uh, who was the co-founder of the field of evidence-based medicine with David Sackett. So, and um, I did my postdoc with with Gordon also and um, everything to do with research methods. And uh, I still do support his his research as needed. So um, I remain active in the research methodology field. Uh, uh, From around mid of 2019, uh, WHO and Pan American Health in Washington um, asked me to help them develop a training program for low and middle income countries in in research methods and evidence-based medicine. And um, whilst working on that, we had the SARS COVID rearing its head in China and Italy uh, at the beginning of 2020, although there are reports that it probably began even before that in 2019. But anyway, WHO and PAHO asked me to change my role to be a pandemic advisor so they could understand the evidence and that was coming out of China and Italy, et cetera, and they could begin messaging to the world. And uh, so I was doing that. And then I jo- joined the Trump administration uh, in May. Point is, all of that to say that when I joined the Trump administration, I already had about three or four months of extensive COVID under my belt because I had to be reading and studying up on everything to do with COVID to advise WHO so that um, when I joined Trump administration, I was actually running. So between then and now, I've, I've been working with you guys I've developed, you would say, 20 months of solid COVID expertise and uh, and everything to do with COVID. Uh, I'm not a clinician, but I'm an academic scientist and um, I, I, I'm heavily worked in the area. I don't pretend to be the expert of all experts because I take a lot of leadership from people like you. Thank you. Well, it takes a, a broad, diverse team. Certainly we have, uh, in our close collaborations, have molecular biologists, PhD uh, scientists, uh, clinicians who are seeing and examining patients every day, uh, and then arranging to the allied health sciences. But no doubt about it, uh, your experience as a card-carrying epidemiologist, as well as an evidence-based medicine and uh, epidemiology expert, 
applied to COVID-19 at this point in time, uh, the way I look at it, we've all completed fellowships in COVID-19. We reviewed hundreds, if not thousands of reports, and you've really taken a leadership role on our understanding of how the body uh, in the clinical reports, in a sense, has told us that it develops great immunity against SARS-CoV-1 and now SARS-CoV-2. Can you go ahead and walk us through how your understanding and how the literature evolved on immunity and recurrent infections? Well, thank you very much. Well, I mean, look, um, the the reality is, you know, from around um, fall of last year and uh, the beginning winter of this year, we were getting a lot of um, statements and a lot of reports from the CDC, NIH, senior officials in Canada, Britain, and United States that um, they were looking at people who had gotten COVID and they commissioned a bunch of small studies and they were claiming that these people, the antibodies were waning in their blood. And the argument was then in preparation for the vaccine and and I would argue to push uh, to make this the only outcome being persons must get vaccine and they were disregarding early treatment, et cetera, complete. So what they were doing is they weren't only disregarding natural immunity, they were not only discounting it, they were disregarding it because they were claiming based on these studies that look, this study this study was for five months and look, the, the antibodies in the blood win. So that means you were losing your immunity. And uh, the reality is they knew better than that. They knew that they were misleading the public and misleading the world because <clears throat> We would expect your antibodies to win um, over time, but uh, we also knew that immunity was beyond just antibodies. There was the cellular component of your immunity, which is comprised of the B cell, memory B cells and memory T cells. So, and they knew that uh, these memory B cells, uh, <clears throat> they can differentiate into long-lived bone marrow plasma cells, and they would churn out antibodies in the future with subsequent exposures, et cetera. So it was almost an effort to deceive the public and that actually scared everyone into thinking that the immunity was being lost. But the CDC and they would commission a study that would run for let's say five months looking at um, the cellular immunity and then say, well, cellular immunity lasts five months, but the study was just five months old. And if they ran that study, for 50 years, they would have seen the natural immunity still in place. And that was the deception. It was It was a lot of, uh, it, it was, uh, I found it very duplicitous. So I was kind of outraged because I understood the difference between vaccine, vaccinal immunity versus natural immunity and even innate immunity, the first line of defense. And I knew that the natural immunity was bulletproof, long-lived, robust and durable, and that um, vaccine immunity cannot, cannot compare to natural immunity. So I decided that, let me take a look at the literature, and I found, you know, some very, very seminal studies that were critical. There was this one by the Labert Group in the United States that looked at persons who had uh, SARS-1 in 2003, So about 18, 19 years post, they looked at the blood of these people again, and they found that their natural immunity, their cellular immunity still existed, but they also found that 
that cell immunity, T cell immunity cross-reacted with SARS-2. So it gave those people protection. Uh, those persons were protected. And, and that made me realize, well, hmm, I know common colds are coronaviruses. So I started to look at the evidence and the work being done by Shane Crotty and his lab, Mateus uh, Griffoni and these people. And I saw uh, one, I, I saw that there was a strong uh, uh, common cold, which are coronaviruses, cross-reactive, cross-protection against SARS-CoV-2. So it made me understand that um, it's not, this was not even a novel coronavirus. I mean, this is how I'm explaining it, because so, the way I understand it, there was nothing novel about this, actually. In other words, our immune systems had seen this in a way because we had cross-reactive cross-protection. And there was one particular study, Dr. McCullough, that was kind of shocking and made me want to dive deeper. And then I went on and I wrote this. This, this it was actually, it was a scientific paper, a review, but the journals won't take it. So I, I published it in Brownstone and I started with about 70 or 80 studies. Now it's up to about 141 pieces of evidence. Vast majority of studies and a couple of high level papers by like Dr. Marty McCary, et cetera, basically showing that natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity. But one study that the viewers, I must mention is this, in about 2008, 2009, researchers um, in nature publishing SIDRAP, um, they looked at persons who were exposed to Spanish flu in 1918. And um, th those were little kids then, like four years old, five years old, but they happened to be alive. And um, they looked at their blood and uh, what they found 90, almost 100 years after Spanish flu, they found in these people's blood that their cellular immunity, T cells, et cetera, reacted still to the Spanish flu, the virus back then. And uh, it was fascinating and it proved, that one study proved, it was beyond the SARS-1 the SARS study by Labert that showed 18 years um, longevity. This study was 100 years old. Um, the blood was 100 years old and it showed that the natural immunity persists, your cellular immunity. And, uh, and it was a remarkable thing. So bottom line is that dictum out there that... Um, you need to get a vaccine because the vaccine is better than the than your natural immunity. They all knew that they were being duplicitous and they still are duplicitous. Um, vac <clears throat> vaccine cannot compare to natural immunity, which is robust, strong, durable, and, and basically lifelong. However, and I know you probably want to touch on this today, we are seeing a difference with this Omicron variant, and um, I will leave that up to you how you want to pivot. Yeah, well, to summarize, I think the, the lethal forms of the virus uh, from the wild type alpha, beta, and uh, gamma, you know, I thought gamma, by the way, was the most lethal in, in Brazil. I, I really felt sorry for the doctors who fought gamma there, probably the most, the truly most lethal variant we had. And then Delta, which um, was far more extensive and persistent, long-lasting, and hit younger people. Delta was harder for us in the United States to, to face. And in fact, we saw casualties with Delta, uh, made us realize that the natural immunity was uh, holding up very well 
from these uh, more deadly strains. And we know that because, Paul, in the peer-reviewed literature, uh, in the studies that were reported of the fatalities, it was always they died on the first infection. It's not like they, they died on the second, third, or fourth infection. We never saw that uh, in the literature. Uh, to your understanding, um, uh, the uh, uh, idea that, um, that natural immunity, uh, in a sense, uh, could not be improved upon by vaccination. But was there anything to suggest that actually vaccination could put you backwards and make the natural immunity worse or obviate uh, ideal natural immunity? Well, actually, there are some studies. There are there are studies that show show us like uh, we have studies by um, uh, Kramer, Matiurakis, Raw, and these people that show that um, that there is um, if you vaccinate, if you take the vaccine on top of existing natural immunity, recovered COVID recovered, that you could cause uh, that there are emergent side effects and. Um, Last night I was looking at literature besides those three. There are three other studies that, that show that there is a concern. And one of the authors uh, actually said that uh, this approach with uh, two, two vaccine, uh, double vaccination is a problem. And that they were calling on the authorities to reduce that to just one, that a second shot was not, nothing beyond a full shot. Um, the reality is some other research that I looked at showed that um, the vaccine is also in interfering with the natural immunity in the sense that I think they reported that there's an impact on your cellular immunity, T-cell, the CD8 plus um, uh, cytotoxic cells. And those cells, um, as we know, they play a role in not just SARS-CoV-2, they play a role in fighting other viruses and even cancers. And um, I've been listening and reading stuff by Dr. Ryan Cole as a pathologist, and he he's explaining that he is seeing in his double vaccinated persons who, from an autopsy point of view, they are showing levels of cancers 24 times greater. And what he is seeing is that um, uh, what he is proposing is that the vaccine is playing a devastating role in their natural immunity and it's a it's affecting their their immune system's ability to fight these cancers and and these cancers are becoming a big problem so yes the literature is accumulating now to show that vaccine on top of covid recovered immunity is a problem and uh, sets the person back and, and actually interferes with the existing covid recovered natural immunity so, Paul, in my practice now for the last month, I can tell you cases are pouring in, presumably of Omicron. Uh, these are among individuals who have had COVID recovered from prior variants, clearly among the vaccinated. Actually, that's where Omicron was initially described in the fully vaccinated, but also in the um, unvaccinated COVID naive uh, population. In fact, all groups are participating equal. And it's my observation that it's very mild, uh, usually some mild uh, nasal stuffiness or runny nose, some general, uh, what I call viral malaise, maybe a low-grade subjective fever. And it's basically gone in about a day and a half to two days. Uh, it is so mild that clinically, I, you know, I had one patient, I kind of panicked. I couldn't tell if it was going to be more severe or not. I got a monoclonal antibody infusion. I think it was overkill. Uh, I had another senior where I just did the same thing today and 
I can't be sure. But everybody else where I have close observation on, I am basically at the point, Paul, where I, I don't even need any medications outside of some fever control. Uh, patients are doing the povidone iodine nasal washes. We're telling them basically to kill the virus at the source in the nares. Uh, but it, it appears to me clear, Paul, that Omicron has broken through natural immunity. It has broken through vaccine immunity, but I don't necessarily see that as, as a bad thing. What do you see in the literature? Well, what I'm seeing in the literature is basically what you're saying. Um, uh, what we found in the literature, so there are about five or six studies right now that we've actually put in a recent um, op-ed that showed that um, the vaccine has a problem uh, in terms of the Omicron variant, and it's not hitting um, hitting the, like how it was failing against the Delta, it's, it's, it is actually more failed against the Omicron. And um, uh, the research is showing that um, the vaccine, the effectiveness is dramatically low and much faster for the Omicron. And what what is being discussed in the literature overall is that it's almost verbatim to what you just said, it's, it's even mild in the elderly and um, uh, symptoms probably last one day and um, with no treatment, et cetera. Various doctors are, are beginning to come forward and express this. And um, the reality is the literature is saying it is highly infectious and we are not arguing about that. Uh, it is, but it's very, very non-lethal. And it's behaving like how uh, a virus would behave at this point. It's almost as though this is the last gasp and um, I don't even think they may have another major mutation. Um, but when using the, the, the phenomena of Mueller's ratchet as the virus across time, the virus will keep mutating downwards into milder and milder versions of itself. Um, natural selection will keep selecting the most infectious, non-lethal variants to go forward uh, because the virus basically wants to become very infectious and very mild to the extent that you don't even know you're infected. So the, the, the challenge here right now, Dr. McCullough, that I am seeing is that um, uh, like, like when this started about three to four weeks ago, when the furor over Omicron began, I had written an, a, a paper quickly with a couple of others and we published it uh, in, in, in Brownstone. And um, basically we're saying at that point, look, we didn't have the evidence the full evidence thus far, but with the reports that were coming in were, this is basically very, very mild, infectious. And not that there was much to do about nothing, but we keep an eye on it. But the reaction by the governments on there at that point was to shut things down, close travel, etc. And they were beginning to talk about lockdowns and all. And all of these things have failed in the past. So to even consider those was very frightening. And um, now... Uh, uh, like in New York, New York State, etc., the discussions they're having about closing schools, shutting things down, and I think it's it's almost it's illogical, it's it's irrational based on what the data is showing us. But what is important to us is we need we don't need to look at the infections. We need to look at the data on hospitalizations, ICU, and death, and all of those data are telling us, even in the United States, that all of those are flat. So, so yes, we still want to wait a little more time to be fully conclusive, but normally you have a hospitalization curve and then a death curve that follows by around two weeks. 
post the infection uh, peak, et cetera. But we're not seeing that. But let's wait still another week or two. But the most important thing is all of the reports that are coming out right now shows that this is very mild. Um, yes, infectious, but non-consequential in the sense that a day, less than a day, some people may have some stomach upset, mild symptoms. And I'm not even speaking as a clinician because I actually know someone. I know someone in Canada, in Toronto, who uh, was diagnosed with Omicron. And uh, they told me they felt a little uh, grumpy for about a couple of hours and then they were back to normal. And I said, a couple of hours? And they said, yes, you know, it was nothing. I didn't even have fever. Felt a little stomach upset. The, the problem, Dr. McCullough, is this, you know, um, there was this uh, um, op-ed published recently, I think, in one of the U.S. mags that said, uh, here's this case in the United States. Uh, this person is um, uh, positive for, for Omicron, and, um, and this person also was infected before. So you people with this natural immunity issue, you know, what say you? Well, I mean... I think it's a, it's a very important discussion to have to calm everybody down because they're going to use issues like that to scare the public. The reality is, if it is so mild, you know, if it is so non-consequential, this is actually going to serve as almost a natural booster. And um, it's almost like a gift this Christmas season. Dr. Robert Maloon has said this, that, um, that you know, why would you want to even go on for a booster? You know, because 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 this can actually boost your existing vaccine, vaccinal antibodies. And actually, I have argued with some folks this morning that um, that uh, this could provide you for the balance of the population that have not even been exposed, if there are anyone like that, as well as if the vaccine has failed with you. Um, this will provide you natural immunity. It's so mild so non-consequential that, I mean, it may sound controversial how I speak, but I'm saying you are actually better off based on the whole risk profile. If you are not a high-risk person, et cetera, and you are healthy, low-risk, young person, middle-aged person, but low-risk, you are better off being exposed naturally and harmlessly than chancing the vaccine because the vaccine has, as we are seeing in the various database CDC, it has toxic side effects. You know, there's particularly for young people issues on myocarditis and pericarditis and Guillain-Barre and all of these things. So, um, but Dr. McCullough, there's something I want to ask you, though, because you raise a very important point. Um, I think we still have to step back a little bit about some of these infections or cases because we need to still consider that the, the PCR test is still very overcycled. And, you know, it can be an issue where if they're running this PCR still at 40 and 45, number one, they were going to be saying a lot of people are positive when they're not. And we knew that from the, the first phase of this, this pandemic. Um, there are a lot of reports where the PCR can't differentiate between common colds, RSV, corona, as well as influenza. That's another thing we have to always consider because... I was looking at some communications this morning with some clinicians, and they were saying that say, saying that they were seeing a lot of cases, but it's not actually Omicron. It's other respiratory uh, infections and illnesses. So we have to be careful how, how fast we rush out of the gate 
to, to, to run as our hairs on fire. And we also have to consider, again, underlying medical conditions because that case I just told you about, that the, that the media had printed and they started this big, big Scotland Yard, Interpol type of interrogation on the news about, well, here's this guy, he got Omicron and he passed away in the US. Only if you read the story properly, as you read, they actually admitted that he had very, very serious underlying medical conditions. The guy was a very unwell person. God forbid anybody dies of anything, but he was he was critically ill and he would have died likely absent of, of Omicron if Omicron actually is the issue. So I think we, the news and the CDC, et cetera, and these people in the news, this is my opinion. This is not your opinion. This is my opinion. They're trying to take us back to February 2020. And we are in December, January 2022. COVID, January 2022, is not COVID February 2020. We know exactly who's the at-risk population. We know exactly how to treat it with early outpatient treatment, combination sequence, com combination drugs that you have championed. We know the antivirals and corticosteroids to use. So we know all of these things. So it's not the same situation. We understand this, this far better. We know exactly what to do. And um, I think right now it's just a situation where they're trying to force and push and scare people into taking the vaccines. And they're not recognizing natural immunity. They continue to not recognize natural immunity. And moreover, Dr. McCullough, we should have discussions down the line Food on this, but we have dismissed or disregarded the potent role too of the innate immune system, the first line of defense. And um, between Dr. Good, uh, Van den Bosch, Malone, and myself, we've been having some discussions on the fact that that innate immunity in children and young persons is probably what what would probably get us out of all of this eventually. And if we have to recognize it and not tamper with it with vaccine, that's the issue. We run the risk of damaging potent, existing, beautiful innate immunity in young people and natural immunity with these vaccines, because there's evidence that shows that the vaccines suppresses and outcompetes the innate antibodies and the natural, naturally acquired antibodies. And this is a problem. Because if these things prove true, we could be setting up our populations for, for catastrophe in the future. And, we, and you know why, Dr. McCullough? A simple, simple thing. When people say, well, Paul, how do you know that? That sounds very interesting, what you just said. In fact, it sounds true. But how, how could you prove it? I, I turn around now and I tell them, I watch them in their face, and I say, I can't prove it. The burden is not on me. The burden was on the vaccine developers and the FDA to enforce the vaccine developers, and they all failed. The vaccine developers, Pfizer, Moderna, all of them, they have failed, and the FDA has failed in a superior regulatory role to, to mandate that they have studied these, these things. They did not study for the duration. They did not study the proper groups. They didn't study ADE, antibody-dependent enhancement. They didn't look at pregnant women and, and expectant children of women of childbearing age properly. They didn't look at children. They didn't look at anything. So right now, if somebody accuses me and say, well, you don't have evidence of that, I, I tell them straight, the burden is not on me. 
The burden was on them to prove that it was safe, and they have not. So you are the one who making the mistake by just going along. And early treatment would have saved you. And he said something that is so true. We have 800,000 deaths in the United States, just United States. Had we used early treatment by the modeling, we could have saved 85 to 90%. We are talking about 750,000 people. Our parents and grandparents would have been alive. This is a very terrible thing that has happened with early treatment. And, and, and the deception with early treatment, they're using now with these vaccines. And they're trying to scare parents, to scare people, to vaccinate and to vaccinate children when it's not needed. And uh, we have alternatives. And I think this Omicron basically is telling us, Dr. McCullough, you may not, I don't know, you may not agree with how I'm saying it, but I'm willing to say that COVID is over. COVID is done. Omicron is showing us it's on its last legs, done. It's over. Well, Paul, you know, the, the curves are, are going straight up in the United States. They're already on the way down in Denmark and in South Africa, because, you know, it's interesting that the modeling from Dr. Fantini's lab in France showed that, uh, that it was expected that Omicron is less uh, transmissible by the transmissibility index than Delta. But one of the reasons why it actually outcompeted Delta for dominance, which it did, uh, the CDC indicates this uh, as of their modeling for the week of December 18th, that we should be at 73% Omicron, which I think is, is, is the case clinically. It certainly feels like this right number. That uh, the reason why it did is because it's, it's replicating 70 times more quickly than, uh, than Delta. So in a sense, this is almost like a fireworks when we're at the finale and all the fireworks are going off and it's just a, it's a, it's a blitz of light in the air I agree with you. I'm starting to get a sense that this could be burning itself out with the Omicron finale. Uh, but you're right. A few more weeks will, will tell us. This has been a, a terrific interview. I, I did want to ask you uh, this final question is, um, do, do you what do you think about the value proposition of uh, the vaccines, in a sense, even causing more short-term symptoms than Omicron itself? Some of my patients have told me that the Omicron illness almost felt, felt, felt like they took a booster. Yes, and that's what the reporting is beginning to show us already and, and, and clinicians are saying, and what I'm reading in the literature, that, that the Omicron is actually almost like a gift and could act as a natural booster that, 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 that you will not require. You will not need to go and take a booster and to be reboosted. And um, the question becomes, why? Why would you, at this point, if you are seeing that there are troubling signs in the literature, and it's not my words, it's what is published, that, that the vaccine, the effectiveness of the vaccine in the, in the population is not, I mean, it's, it's, it's disastrous. So if the response now is that, oh, well, we're going, you're going to have to take a booster every four, every four months or five months. At this point, the vaccine brings risk to the table because any drug or vaccine or medical device has risk just, just inherent in it being a foreign substance you're putting in you. But these vaccines do have a problem with myocarditis, et cetera. So if there are these issues, um, what especially for low-risk persons, persons who you're thinking, I want to do my civic duty, you know, I wanna, I wanna contribute to this fight, so I'm gonna take a vaccine. I'm probably not at risk. Let's see. Why would you, at this point, if, if Omicron is so tame and so benign, 
you are better off chancing yourself with the virus. I'm not telling anyone here what they have to do. I'm just I'm just speaking in my mind how I look at it. People could make they have to make their own decisions with their doctor, etc. But I'm saying to me, I would say well, I would chance the virus because because if, if if I might get one or two hours of stomach upset, maybe run a temperature or, or, or get nothing, then then for sure. I, I don't think the, the, the vaccine at this point is warranted. And overall, Dr. McCullough, look, when we look at the usual vigilance surveillance system in Europe, it is reporting like 30,000 deaths, one to two, at most five days post-vaccine, and about three to four million adverse events. When we look at the CDC's database, VAERS, we see about 20,000 deaths in the United States um, comprised of residents, citizens, Americans or whomever have fed into that database. One to two at most five to six days post-vaccine. And some research shows it's about 80 to 85% could be linked directly to the shot. So one million adverse events. So we have a problem that we have to face and, and, and we need to study what has happened here. And it's back again to the vaccine developers and the FDA. The reality about it is they took a 12 to 15 year process to develop this vaccine from conception to arm. And they boiled it down in three to four months and brought this vaccine out. There is no way that corners won't cut. You may find, so this is controversial, the way I speak, but I speak how I understand it. They must have cut corners. And the corners I fear are around issues around properly looking at safety. You cannot circumvent time. You can't take time out of a vaccine development process. It's there for a reason. Time you could remove and regulatory inefficiencies in other areas. But for a vaccine, while it sounded attractive in the beginning, oh, we will, we will squeeze out all of the red tape and the bureaucracy and the inefficiencies from the process, and we will boil it down to three or four months. Now, when you look back at it, you have to realize that time was there for a purpose. We need time into the future for proper surveillance to see how the safety signals are going to emerge and what is going to happen. As we speak here, we do not have the proper studies done with the proper duration of follow-up to see how these vaccines are going to react in children, young children, teenagers, young people, women, pregnant women, even the elderly. And it is a shame what they've done because if myocarditis is an example, and this is how I'll end this piece, if myocarditis has, um, uh, it's at one in 5,000, I believe that's what the literature says, one in 6,000. And you you ran a study for the children with 2,200 samples. How could you detect the signal? In other words, they undersized the sample to begin with. You see, this is the problem. And the FDA should have sent them back to the lab and say, we do that and do it over. You undersize the sample. We could never find the safety signal. 2200 uh, persons. Impossible. So there's a lot of shady stuff on corners we cut here. And now we're beginning to pay the price with all of these adverse events and deaths. So the question is if we have the virus now has watered itself down to such a, a, a benign, non consequential version of itself, then this is an opportunity for people to step back and say, you know what? I don't need this vaccine at this point. I've taken two shots. I don't need a booster. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chance 
if this is the predominant variant now, if it's going to displace Delta, I'm going to chance myself with the, with the Omicron because at the end of the day, it will give me, boost my, boost my immunity and I will be okay. And, and, but, but again, you said something so that's perfect. We need to still watch data over the next week, week and a half to two for us to really wrap our arms around this particular variant. But from, from all that I have seen and I have read, I don't see anything for us to be, you know, yes, infections are going up, but you know, I'll end, Dr. How I said I was going to, but I'll end with this. Here's my main argument always is this. When the government of the United States or the government of Canada or the government of Britain, let's say um, Walensky from the CDC or Theresa Tam from Public Health Agency of Canada, when they come and they say, well, we need, we need you to, um, to take the vaccines. We need you to do this. We need you to do that. We need to lock down. We need to, we need to close schools because we want to take the pressure. The, the hospitals are, are overwhelmed. We want to take the pressure. My answer to them is this. Listen, 22 months ago, you asked us for two weeks for you to prepare the hospitals. And we gave you billions if not trillions of dollars in America for PPE and everything you needed. 22 months you had. How dare you come now and tell me, even mention hospitals being overwhelmed. I don't want to hear that. Who? I don't want to hear that. That's your business. And if that is so, if that is so, then you have failed as a government. You have failed as a hospital system. And we need you to give us a full accounting, us taxpayers in America, in Canada and wherever, where is our money? What did you do with it? Because then you certainly didn't use it to prepare the hospital. And we gave you trillions of dollars. Paul, so we're, gonna, have, Paul we're, gonna, we're gonna have to leave it there. I tell you, I really got you wound up on the healthcare utilization. Uh, but listen, this has been a terrific interview. Um, uh, Omicron in summary, it looks like it's a very positive development. It may be uh, mother yes. nature's own booster. Uh, the, the cases are mild. The hospitals are not going to fill up with these cases uh, at this yes. point. Uh, Dr. Alexander, thank you so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. Thank you, sir. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.